Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The title of the album was just a literal translation of what the album is. Sparkle Lounge, or songs from the Sparkle Lounge. Um, when we rehearse, when we're on tour, we have a little uh, backstage room. And they'd put curtains up and rugs down. Started putting fairy lights and, like, Christmas lights up. Then the sign goes on the door and it just became the Sparkle Lounge. It's a bit of a weird title. I mean, these were hysteria, you know, slang, and these one-word titles that are really kind of powerful. But this, we felt this was really relevant and really valid, and we didn't really care what anyone else thought about it. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. All right, Sonny. So we're up to what the 10th album, which makes it October. Yeah, October. And so pull some chairs up and mosey up to the bar because we're going to have a few drinks in the Sparkle Lounge and listen to these songs and review the 10th studio album by Def Leppard, Songs from the Sparkle Lounge. Do you know where the Sparkle Lounge is, Sonny? Uh, it was a. Uh place where they wrote music right it, like backstage is like a mini drum set a keyboard and shit like that have you ever been to the sparkle lounge uh no that sounds like a strip club it is a strip club all the strippers wear glitter that makes it sparkly wow. sparkle lounge wow. oh i don't know the actual real sparkle lounge i think that's probably you're probably dead on with that maybe it's the rehearsal room before shows when we first started recording this album, no, we didn't have a specific theme. I don't think we did anyway. The closest thing we had to a theme was actually just making the effort to write the songs on the road. At Phil's suggestion, he said, let's really try and save some time by writing the next album while we've got all this downtime. They pretty much wrote this record on the road, or so they said. But as we get into this, we'll figure out all that. But before we go too far into this episode, you know what we do around here. We've got to invite a guest to kind of even out our reviews on these Def Leppard albums. So we brought along a returning guest. Obviously, he's been on the show many times before. Brad Rustoven from the Slam Fest podcast. Brad, what's going on, baby? Steven and Sonny, how are you? 
Well, I'm good. I don't know about Pooney. Ask him. He's got a stone face on. Well, I, I thought we weren't given what we felt on this album yet. <laughs> don't show your cards. Don't show your cards. Right? I just asked how you were feeling. I didn't say how you feel about the music. Jeez. Oh, I'm feeling great. But okay. uh, <laughs> that's, that's all that matters. Hold them thoughts there, Pooney. So, Brad. Tell us a little bit about the Slam Fest podcast. So, yeah, so we bring the premier rock concert pregaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves, going through my concert chronology as I see shows real time. I'm covering those as well and bringing on a variety of guests, whether it's Slam Fest crew members or other podcasters or listeners. So things are going good right now. 117 episodes into this thing. And yeah, most recent stuff. So got a Judas Priest Queensryche tour from 2005. Saw Journey with Steve Ajeri. There you go. I think that's how that's pronounced, right? Yeah. Son? Yeah, sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've got a, uh, a Whitesnake uh, Blue Oyster Colt episode coming up as well. So are you still enjoying it? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, during COVID it was therapy, right? Yes. Still a great time talking music, man. Doesn't get old. So I have to say something here. Sonny and I are pretty organized on the Grown Up Rock podcast. We both pride ourselves in that. We share a Google sheet. But I got to tell you, I've been on your podcast, and I know Sonny's been on the podcast, and I don't know what Sonny's experience is, but my experience with you is that you're even way more prepared than we are. Like I got a whole diary, a whole major sheet of this is how it's going to go. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to be. I was like, holy shit, this guy's really ready on, on top of things. You're, you do a lot of work on this podcast. You know what, what's interesting about that comment, Stephen, is that I was on your, that Saxon episode with Kevin mm -hmm. And I remember you said, I mean, you had a whole outline, right, of where the breaks were and, you know, different, you know, different segments and all that. I learned it from you. <laughs> that, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I have sent out a couple of things to new people that have never been on the show and don't really know how things flow between Sonny and I. But overall, I mean, yours was much more detailed, like down to the questions and things like, you know, you were just way more detailed, I thought, than anything I've ever done. But I take that as a compliment yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that you learned it from us. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. What Brad's doing is he's not leaving the research up to interpretation, right? He's doing some of the research for you. So I get this sheet and we're talking about hailstorm and pretty reckless and blah, blah. And I go, well, I, go, I guess I don't got to do any prep. It's all done. <laughs> I know what we're talking about and I know all these songs. So, uh, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. It was really great. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love these series album reviews that we do is that it flows. I have to do the research in the actual album and songs, but everybody that comes on the show, most people have heard at least an episode that we've done of the album reviews. So they kind of know how it goes, right? It kind of, it just flows and that makes it super simple for us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into this episode. So let's start with a two-part question, Brad. And the first part is, what is your actual history with Def Leppard? Does it start with pyromania and hysteria like the majority of people that have been on this show? Or does it start somewhere else with you? No, it's, yeah. I mean, it starts with MTV. And I was thinking about this and kind of went back and looked at some of those, you know, those high and dry videos, those performance videos. I'm trying to remember if I had seen any of those first, you know, before the big 
Pyromania videos came out. Obviously, they reissued Bring It On The Heartbreak and had a different video, you know, later on for that song and me and my wine. Again, I remember that stuff all kind of happening, but I don't remember which came first of the of that set of videos. I know my brother had High and Dry. I went out and bought On Through the Night on cassette. That was one of my early cassettes, that Van Halen 2 and what Rainbow Bend on a Shape, I think were my, <laughs> my first three cassettes. But that's kind of where it started, but I don't know what I saw first. So that was all before you purchased like Pyromania or Hysteria? You picked yeah. up like on through the night and stuff? I, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, this is this is all filtering down from my brother. So, I mean, I know he had Pyromania on, on vinyl, but my first Def Leppard purchase was on through the night on cassette. All right. So All right. And so what's your history with this album in particular? Song so, yeah. So interesting, right? 2008. So this is the time where you're online, obviously, and you're getting, you know, tipped off on music online or you're, you're hearing a leaked song, whether it's official or, or not official. And I can remember hearing, maybe it was in a blabbermouth article or something but hearing or seeing a video for the song nine lives i remember clicking on it and being surprised and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about uh, tim mcgraw's involvement and and why he was involved in this album but i remember hearing that and without going too far i wanted to hear more and look forward to the album coming out sunny your experience with songs from the sparkle lounge I can't quite remember, but most likely I got it in the clearance bin for 99 cents somewhere because I didn't have it yet. It's like, oh, Def Leppard release. Oh, let me get that. It's 99 cents. <laughs> Fair enough. My recollection of my experience with songs from the Sparkle Lounge is that I thought X was such a horrible record that I had heard a couple of tunes off of this record, and I don't remember which ones they were, but I thought it was an improvement over what I'd heard on X. So I picked up the record at a fairly cheap price. I don't remember. And, you know, it wasn't on the day it was released or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I remember going through the record a couple of times and just feeling like, okay, it's at least a rock record and it's a little bit it's definitely better than X, but I don't know if it sounds like a Def Leppard record or probably what my thoughts were on what a Def Leppard record should be. So uh, that was about my only re- memories of this particular record. And then it kind of got casted aside and I can't necessarily say that I pull any songs off this record for a playlist on the regular at all. Brad, do you remember how you picked this record that I call you and say there's two left pick one or what i think yeah i think at that point it was the (laughs) self-titled which is next uh and this one and do you remember what i (laughs) do you remember my response it was probably something (laughs) like why what happened to all the other ones and i probably said something like dude i knew you would take anything that's why (laughs) you know you know something that we're missing with this right six years between x and this album and in between it was the covers album right mm-hmm. the yeah co- uh, covers album and surprisingly enough i didn't see def leppard until 2006 it never worked out for me i remember hysteria again i was in middle school at the time people went to it i wasn't a huge hysteria fan at the time that that album came out i went to school 
in Des Moines, that Adrenalize tour went. I had no money. I had no way to get to the venue, <laughs> so I couldn't go. And then after that, you know, the 90s happened. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm I'm seeing Def Leppard with Brian Adams in a minor league ballpark. You guys remember that tour? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was before the Journey Def Leppard tour? You know, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I That was that was the summer of 2006, but there was, it was only about 25 dates. So it could have been the same year, just at a different time. Oh, yeah. Time. Maybe Journey did the West Coast run and Adams did like the North maybe. or something like that? Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a great double bill, actually. I mean, kind of odd, like kind of an odd pairing, but overall it was great. You got two headlining sets basically from both of them, and I hadn't seen either of them, so... I killed two birds with one stone at that show. So let's find out some basic facts about this record, and then let's get into it. Basic facts about the record. The record released in April of 2008. It was recorded between 2006 and 2008. So again, Def Leppard doesn't mind taking time to record an album. I think they said they wanted to record on the road because they had extra time to record. And in addition to that, the only other goal that they had set out for was to record a rock record, even though basically they're a rock band. We actually wanted to make a rock record. And I know we're a rock band and we always do that, but the last few albums have kind of been a bit poppy. And um, after doing the Yeah album, which was covers, we, we kind of liked the way that we'd done it really fast and, and we didn't, mess around for like years on end so we wanted to do a really kind of uh, t straight to the point rock album that sounded like Def Leppard and again I know that sounds silly but I think we drifted away from that partly and um, we, we didn't feel embarrassed about it this time we was like okay let's make it a Def Leppard record and make it fun and, and rock length of the album is 3912 label is Island Universal that's still a subsidiary of Polygram and the producers are Rowan McHugh and Def Leppard. Uh, Co-produced is, is what the album is, I suppose. It's produced by Def Leppard and Ronan McHugh. And Ronan's the engineer and the mixer and, and the co-producer. He's been with us for quite a few years now, so he knows everyone's voice, he knows the blends, and that makes it a lot easier. It's like if you get in with a new producer, and sometimes it's great and everything, but they don't really know what you're about. And the great thing with Ronan, he knows everyone's strengths, weak, weaknesses, or whatever, and, and you know he can, he can work around it. What's your thoughts on the album cover? Start with you, Brad. Yeah. So, you know, I heard the album title. I, again, I, I think I heard that before I had seen what they had done with the album cover. Yeah, it's obviously a nod to Sgt. Peppers. And in reading a little bit about it, I, I, I can't remember the guy's name that, uh, that uh, designed it. And I can't go through and name everything that they've got in there, but they've got a variety of what influences and I think they're in it. I think their pictures are in there as well, which is similar to Sergeant Pepper's. But, you know, a song from the Sparkle Lounge, it kind of had that old school album title vibe. So why not have an old, old school album cover? I dig it. I think it's pretty cool. Sonny, what's your thoughts on this record cover, this album cover? There's a lot going on. The guys are in there several times, old pictures, new pictures. Uh, yeah, you couldn't possibly name all. I mean, it would take <laughs> forever. And some of it. Like you would have to be a little bit of a history buff and a little bit of a pop culture buff to get them all, right? Like I can see Marilyn, I can see the Mona Lisa, but there's some of these people I'm like, who the hell is that? Why is he on this cover? What's interesting to me is this picture on the inside 
where a memo went out that everybody needs to wear a long jacket. But obviously somebody told Phil he didn't have to wear a shirt. Like it's how many times are we going to get this? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. Phil put on a fucking shirt. <laughs> he doesn't have to. He's, 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 he's playing to the women. He's, he's exempt from that memo <laughs> every time it goes out. The guys still <laughs> cut power to him, but they look good here. I mean, I, I think they look really good here with the jackets and stuff. Yeah. Was that the same year that uh, The Matrix came out? <laughs> yeah, that part, I don't know. <laughs> so somewhere I've seen, uh, and I couldn't find it, and, uh, you know, God bless you if you can find it, but there is an album cover diagram of this album cover with a number sequence and it tells what each person on the album cover is. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's out there somewhere. I just don't know where it is. So if you're really interested in what all the little people are on this album cover somewhere out there, there's a diagram that actually says exactly what it is with a number kind of a paint by numbers thing. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This would be a record to actually have on albums so that you get that artwork nice and big and you can really kind of just sit there and stare at the little things uh, while you're listening to the record. That would be probably pretty cool, I guess. Uh, But other than that, you know. And uh, as far as album sales go on this record, I don't know that it's uh, that it even sold 500,000 copies uh, of this record. So I don't think it was a particularly great selling record, but album sales, of course, around this period of time are continuing to slow down greatly, I'm sure. Uh, so there you have it. What I read too, was it charted at number five, mm-hmm. which in, in the U S on the billboard, but highest charting position of one of their albums since Adrenalize. Yeah. Cause people were desperate after hearing X. <laughs> <laughs> I just, they couldn't, of course, I mean, look, I I say that and X was there, but then they had, uh, yeah, which is the covers record. And mind you, I don't know that that made anything better, but uh, it was better. Yeah. That, that record uh, helped a little bit, but I think people go to X as being the last actual Def Leppard record uh, before this one. So, yeah, I think it hit the top five because it sold like 91,000 copies that first week and then it sold two copies the next 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock.
first track is Go. And Brad, what I was thinking is right out of the gate, okay, it gets a little dark and grungy quickly, but that chorus with the Go, Just Go, and then the additional voice comes in, Just Go, I'm like, oh, the hooks are back, baby. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I love about Def Leppard. It's got the big backing vocals. Uh, to me, this song works. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, A, because it's it's mid-tempo, right? And I know a lot of people don't necessarily love mid-tempo songs kicking off albums, but I, I think it works. That intro guitar, lead guitar part kind of reminds me of women a little bit. Not Again, not identical, but reminds me of that a little bit. But yeah, the, the verse I think is good. The pre-chorus... I'm not a huge fan of, but the, that chorus, just like you described, I thought it was great. And Joe's got some great interjections as that goes. And what's with the news clips and stuff at the end? <laughs> not sure. Not sure what any of that was. Um, but again, I, I kind of like the fact that they went against the grain and started off with a mid-tempo song with a with a big chorus. Yeah, I think the news clips, Stephen, has something to do with the lyrics. We look to our leaders with the lies they try to feed us like a knife. Then they try to bleed us and they cut us real slow. As Tommy, our buddy from shouted out loud cast would say, settle the fuck down, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> ah, whatever happened to fooling? <laughs> we got to We got to get political. Uh, look, they've had, it's not like that's their first foray into making a statement on album. They've been doing that for a long time, going even back to Pyromania and things like that. So listen, this song for me, I don't love it, but I also don't hate it. It feels like it might be left over from slang, even though, I, look, I know they wrote this record on the record, uh, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have leftover riffs and things sitting around. Uh, it just feels that way for me. I don't necessarily know that it has a great course or pre-course or anything like that. It's okay for me. That's really all I can say. So then next we got nine lives and enter Rick Allen's brother is Tim McGraw's tour manager. So you got Tim McGraw coming and helping Tim McGraw is hotter than hot at this point on the country music scene. So you're trying to put up features, Tim McGraw. I wish they would have done Faith Hill instead, Brad, but uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. She would have been better to look at. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. <laughs> In the video, but yeah, where, you know, where do you guys stand with country? I'm sure you haven't talked about it a lot on your podcast, but <laughs> where are you guys at with country music? Yeah. For me, I enjoy some of the country that crosses over to the pop charts those songs about, you know, my dog and my pickup truck and all that kind of shit. Like, I don't give a shit about that stuff, but Lone Star, I, I don't mind Lone Star, Restless Heart, don't mind Restless Heart. Like some of that stuff crossed over, Carrie Underwood. I think Steven's in the same boat probably. Yeah, very much so. I think that there is a lot of today's country artists that grew up on bands like Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and ACDC. So my wife likes a little bit of country. Her sister likes a little bit of country. I have people in the family that like country. So I end up listening to XM once in a while and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I like bands like Blackberry Smoke, which really aren't country, but they toe that line of Southern rock and roll. And so when I listen to some of that country music today, I hear like 
there's distorted guitar going on and ACDC type riffs and Guns N' Roses type riffs. Now it's covered up a lot by, you know, country music themes and things such as that, but I don't mind some of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I fit in with country. Now country guys trying to be super rock, like Eric church bringing Lizzie Hale on stage at one of the award shows and her blowing him away. Like Eric, just stick to what you do, dude. Don't try. But I like that tune. I, it's a good tune. I just, I was so proud that Lizzie absolutely kicked his ass on stage. <laughs> I think he had to know that going in most likely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. What do you think of the song? Well, just real quick, growing up in Nebraska, kind of like you, Stephen, down in the South there, I mean, you're exposed to it, right? We, I mean, I was exposed to it. I mean, Clint Black, Garth Brooks, you know, that stuff. Uh, but then into the 90s and now the stuff today, I, I don't mind it. Yeah, the crossover stuff I think is pretty good. But yeah, I mean, that opening riff obviously has a, you know, it's it's a, it's a rock, but it's got a country kind of flair to it in there. I, I kind of, I like the way they did the duet kind of the first verse they they cut in half and then the second verse they kind of alternated lines and McGraw puts his stamp on it he's laughing he's you know saying woo and come on girl and all that stuff so he's he's feeling right at home I dig the song I, I told you guys I, I heard the song online initially and I was like this is actually pretty cool you know I wasn't expecting <laughs> I mean, it's a weird combination obviously and you Sonny you mentioned the the connection there with Rick Allen's brother being his uh, uh, tour manager, but it's got a big chorus. And actually the pre-chorus I think is golden that let it roll, let them go, let them fly, took a chance on chance, but the aces were high. I mean, <laughs> just a great melody, great lyrics. I dig it. I think it's a cool song. Steven, I think the timing is a little interesting though, because Bon Jovi had just had a number one song with who says you can't go home. 
And unlike Brad, this song doesn't touch that song. This song absolutely sucks compared to the Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi country, it just fits them better. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, I'm used to it now and it just fits them better. Or if John's voice fits it better, but who says you can't go home is a thousand times better than this. I think it all comes down to the pairing. First of all, you're talking about, I mean, Bon Jovi is the working class Jersey. He's the rock, a little bit rock and roll version of Springsteen, right? Blue collar. So that is a really much less of a stretch to country than Def Leppard right? That's why I think it fits so much better. The working class love that shit. Uh, that's blue collar rock and roll, blue collar country, whatever you want to call it. And that song's great. I love that song. And the pairing between John and Sugarland, Jennifer Nettles, Sugarland. That's just a perfect pairing. That being said, I really like this song. I'm not going to lie. I think the pre-course is really, really good. Just like Brad said, I think the course is okay, but the pre-course is really good on this song. I think it moves. It's got a good groove. I think the back and forth between Tim McGraw and Joe Elliott, they complement each other. They both sound great on it. Uh, and it may not be a popular opinion, but I like this tune. I think it's a good tune. Next, we have, we'll just call it Come On Squared, because I guess I could say Come On to the Sixth Power, but we'll just say Come On Squared. So, Joe Elliott stated that this album sounded like a little more early 70s ACDC and much like Led Zeppelin's rock and roll. Brad, come on, come on. This song fucking sucks. This song is bad. <laughs> okay, so... I do. I prefer Cheryl Crow's Come On, Come On better than this. <laughs> this Come On, Come On. But th yeah, this was the second single, if you can believe it. And as we get into the rest of these songs, starting with track three, every song from here on out is only written by one band member, which I thought was really interesting with regards to Def Leppard. And so this was a, a Rick Savage penned song. You know, again, the pre-chorus, I think, is is pretty good. That sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. There's a hook in there. The chorus ah, just doesn't do a ton for me. But there, there's some interesting things. I listened to this with headphones on and really picked up some interesting, you know, underlying backing vocals kind of during that chorus. You hear some just underlying ahs kind of underneath there with, that you don't hear when you're just listening, you know, in the car or with your with your stereo. But the chorus doesn't do a ton for me. And Steven, this is, these are the songs I'm talking about. When I say out loud, I don't need legacy bands to put out new music. Just do the shit I want you to do. Do some of the deep cuts you don't do and leave this shit in the trash can where it should be. Yeah. Okay. Well, certain legacy bands, I agree with you on that as much as it pains me because I think bands should always produce new music and you can choose whether to listen to it or not listen to it. I don't agree with you on this one. I actually like this song. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. You should be. Yeah, well, it's catchy. It feels sort of like rocket rhythm wise. Uh, and it, it feels like a little bit throwback to the 70s glam sound.
Brad brought up an interesting point, which is he's right. All the individual band members contribute to songs going through the rest of the record. And it's one band member gets the credit for the songwriting credit for the song, which I find very interesting. I wonder if they did that from a publishing perspective, because that's hard for me to buy. We've looked at Rick Savage written songs in the past on these album reviews. And I think we've figured out that those typically are not the songs that we like whenever Rick Savage is involved with writing the song by himself or just with another member. Those songs usually don't do anything for me. I'm just saying that this song, in comparison to the rest of the record, I don't hate it. As I said, I I feel like it's a a sort of a catchy tune. And you would be wrong, but that's okay. All right. So... (laughs) the fuck is sunny pony the next song we have is love so instead of a love bites or make love like a man we're just going to go with love and uh brad i i guess this is just musical theater queen to me yeah actually yeah interesting interesting again uh rick savage uh penned song and it's interesting that come on come on transitions right into this song which i thought was pretty cool i thought the acoustic guitar sounds fantastic the again pre-chorus I, i'm i'm uh, touting a lot of their their pre-choruses and maybe they should have used some of the pre-choruses as the choruses <laughs> for some of these songs but that double track pre-chorus is is cool the chorus part doesn't do a ton for me again a cool electric guitar solo some odd military type drumming in there but i mean overall i think it's a well-written song it's just not not one of my favorite ballads by def leppard Searching high and low You take me 
Steven, I mean, it's got some cool harmonies. It just doesn't have the swagger of past ballads. It's just, you're not going to get bringing on the heartbreak again. That's just what it is. All right, so we go to another Rick Savage song. And you remember how I was saying, typically, I don't really like Rick Savage's <laughs> songs. Uh, so this one, this one is really easy. Ugh, fast forward, please. This song blows. I hate this song. This, <laughs> there's nothing good about this song. It has no redeeming qualities. And it's a ballad on top of that. Can we just burn this song? <laughs> if they did there'd be 10 songs on it oh on my the God, that, of that wouldn't hurt my feelings <laughs> next <laughs> all right so next we have tomorrow and uh brad i need you to uh i guess decipher this in sunny speak so in other words i need you to dumb it down there was a review that said phil collins shaped a rallying cry capturing magic in a bottle with a luminescent chorus that hits a sweet spot in your oral senses as the band paints scenic images. I don't even know what that means. That's a lot of words. That's a, that's a lot of, a lot of big words. In what, there, just to but, say the song's cool. <laughs> yeah. There's a reviewer for you just to make himself sound important, I guess. I don't know. Using big words, but I, I think, and let me, I'm going out on a limb here, Sonny, but I think you love this song because it's got that lead melody, that wah-wah pedal is a hook in itself. And then throw in those woo-woos. Oh, it's just, it works. The combination of those two things, I think, work so well, play off each other well. I love this song. This song is great chorus that I want to break down. I'm going to shake down. I don't know what this means, though. I just discovered I can't wait until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he just discovered that. I don't know what that means, but overall, this is pop rock goodness and Phil Collins nailed it. Yeah, Stephen, if the reviewer were just said, cool guitar melody, chorus is straight up hysteria, then you got me because I do like this song. <laughs> I think it's a good song. Wow. Maybe I was so distraught after love that <laughs> I just didn't listen to this song and passed by it because I said it's okay. I said, I, I bet it's leftover from X and meh. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I maybe I should go back and listen to it again. I I don't know. Am I that wrong? I think love wore off on you really, really bad. I think you need to listen to this song again. Doesn't this song sound like it uh, could go on X though, Sonny? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. All right. So next we got Cruise Control. And it's interesting what just Stephen just said, because I was thinking, I'm like, okay, tomorrow was so good, but it can't save this song because this song is boring. Brad, I get it. It's heavy. But man, is this song boring. Yeah. So now, so now you've got Vivian Campbell, you know, coming in. With cruise control. And to me, it, it sounds like maybe the most modern sounding song. I, you know, those that those guitar chords, they almost sound like they're in minor. The verse harmonizing, I'm not a fan of. Just odd arrangement. I don't it just doesn't fit the rest of the album. The rest of the album's been, you know, for the most part, some big choruses and that type of stuff. And this this just falls short for me. Sorry, Vivian. Even after 10 months of listening to Def Leppard, I'm listening to this song and, you know, my mind's wandering because this song's fucking boring as hell. And I'm thinking Def Leppard is number 43 on my top hundred band list. I need to move them down. Like they need to be in the seventies. <laughs> really? They don't need to be off the list, but they don't deserve to be in the top 50 anymore. Steven, I know you feel differently, but this song's not good. Yeah, I do feel differently, but in my defense, I pretty much ignore everything after Pyromania. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> oh, wait, was that out loud? Never mind. <laughs> I like it all. <laughs> no, so, okay, here's the thing. After Hysteria, well, really after Pyromania, I pretty much looked to Def Leppard for great hooks some really good pre-courses, maybe some good courses. Vivian Campbell and Phil Collin are great guitar players. Let's just put that out there. I think they're fantastic guitar players. So that doesn't make them great writers, but they are really good guitar players. And with Cruise Control, yeah, it's modern sound. And yeah, they're experimenting with a bunch of different sounds and samples and all kinds of stuff. And that's all well and fine, but no great pre-course in this song, no great course. It's just meh to me. All right. So next we got Hallucinate. 
And Brad, I thought the guitar riff was cool, but man, was it buried in the mix? Like, I thought maybe my headphones were broken or something. I take the headphones out. I'm like, dude, who mixed this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And again, Phil Collin wrote it. So why, why are the guitars yeah. where, you know, where they are at in the mix? But I think he does a great job with this song. I don't think it's as good as Tomorrow. But I think it's it's catchy. Got a great chorus, some cool interjections from Joe in there. And of course, yeah, I love the first, but the opening line says you're a rock set, which great band, by the way. <laughs> the rock set in there, but cool song, just uh, maybe a notch below tomorrow. But again, Phil did a great job with these two songs that he uh, solely wrote according to the credits. Steven, I like the pace of the song, right? The pace picked up a little bit. Guitar solo was kind of short, but it was ripping. And then you got some noodling on the way out. You know, all in all, yeah, I would say it was, it's a good song. Did you say it wasn't as good as Tomorrow? It's Rust not Oven? as good as Tomorrow. I, I did. Oh and Sonny will back me up. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't give you credit, Rusto, and just so you know. On anyway. this call, it does. It's just the three of us. <laughs> All right, so at least this sounds like a Def Leppard song to me. Uh, I like this tune. Course is not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, to me, it's better than Tomorrow. I like it better than Tomorrow. Is it a great song? No, it's not great. But at least, like I said, it sounds like what Def Leppard should be sounding like in this particular time frame. So uh, not too bad. All right, next song is only The Good Die Young. And time for Sonny to be a bit of an ass, but I'm going to be. All right. So we're 17 years past Steve Clark dying. Look, I get it. But can you just stop writing tributes? Like they're getting progressively worse. Steve would not have wanted this. Just stop. Is this another tribute song? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. It's written by Vivian Campbell. Really? I, di I didn't know it was another tribute to Steve Clark. Seriously. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Brad, you like this song? I wish it was the cover, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's interesting. He's, you know, they've got that, what, Strawberry Fields organ going on in there during the verse, which is, again, a nod to, nod to the Beatles. Uh, I like the vocal during the verse, some delay in there. And, you know, something else that I haven't brought up in some of these other songs, but there's a lot of falsetto going on. And in the chorus, you know, the third time, I think they say only the good, you know, on good, it's, he's in the upper register of the falsetto. And I, I like it kind of throughout the, throughout the album. So, I mean, this is, this is definitely better than cruise control <laughs> that, that Vivian wrote. I give him a little kudos. I'm with you, Sonny, though. Let's, let's just let Steve rest. <laughs> in peace and and stop writing songs about him but i don't mind the song and i i haven't mentioned anything about the guitar solos i think the guitar solos are great they're melodic they're they're not you know overly lengthy i think uh vivian and phil do a great job on all the guitar work on this album phil and i actually on this record we played a bunch of the guitar tracks together like even a few of the solos where we you know be trading off which we've never done before on the yeah record we did play a couple of the rhythm tracks together and there is a certain push-pull energy that you get when you're playing in real time with someone i saw you on a screen an icon a legend a king i heard it in a song that's still Stephen and I agree with Brad. The guitar solo is great on this song. 
but the Billy Joel song is 10,000% better. <laughs> or even the Iron Maiden song is better than this. <laughs> I, I don't think it's fair to compare it to the Billy Joel song. Is it a tribute song if the song's not good? Yeah, it's a bad tribute song. That's why they got to <laughs> stop doing that shit. That's not a tribute. That's peeing on somebody's grave, ain't it? They're basically. <laughs> All right. So, uh, like you guys said, very Beatles influenced. My notes on it are not bad, not great, but I feel like the song could have benefited greatly with a great pre-course. Like if there was a great pre-course in this song, I think it might have helped with the tune itself. But, you know, like I said, I, I go to Def Leppard because they are usually great at writing good pre-courses and courses, but this is not one of them. So next we have Bad Actress. And Brad, I don't know if you've ever had like an ice cream cake where the outer is just amazing. And then you get to the center and it tastes like absolute shit. Because this song, I like the pace. I like the verses. I like the pre-chorus. It got to the chorus. That chorus was so ba ru It ruined the whole song for me. Yeah, so here's, here's two in a row from Joe Elliott. And it, it's a rocker. It's upbeat. Great riff. Lots of space in there. And you with the drumming. And actually I was like, what does this sound like? This sounds like something. I, I went to the song Babylon by faster pussycat, which is kind of a punky upbeat song. So that's what it reminded me of. And again, old school, some old school Def Leppard in there, but you're right, Sonny, you can't sing, you can't dance, you can't fit in your pants. I don't know what they're talking about really, but that chorus is lacking for sure. Even I probably will never say this again. Give me, she won't shut up. She just keeps babbling on and on versus this shit. Wow. That's that how bad is. this is. First of all, I should get points for knowing the chorus to well that song. Well done. Well done. <laughs> that is a stretch for Poonie. He saw it on MTV. Uh, okay. So. 
Oh, where do I start with this song? <laughs> All right. So this is, uh, if you look up filler songs in the dictionary, it has a picture of this song, Bad Actress. And Brad, the reason that this song reminds you of another song is because this song has been written not once, not twice, not three times, but multiple times over and over. It reminds you of not one song. It reminds you of probably a billion songs. There are a ton of songs out there like this. You already mentioned the Faster Pussycat. Another one that's very similar in the way that it's presented is like Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. It's not yes. necessarily, it doesn't necessarily sound like these songs, but it's that formula, that sort of quick punk delivery, uh, choppy uh, riffs. All that being said, <laughs> I actually like this song, oh. <laughs> but but it reminds me of several other tunes. And the issue with this is no, there's no real melody or hooks in this song at all. And you guys are 100% correct. The chorus is brutal, but for some reason, these types of songs put a smile on my face. I mean, I love Bad Reputation. I love babbling on and on. I, I just, I like that kind of crap, but I don't want an album of it. It's, it's nice, you know, once in a while on a playlist, right? I will even say that the Faster Pussycat song is funny, at least, <laughs> right? But I don't ever want to hear any of our friends ever say that a lyrics on a song suck when this one says you can't sing, can't dance, can't fit in your pants. You're a bad actress. You can't run, can't walk. Got to learn how to walk. You're a bad actress. A three-year-old wrote this. <laughs> what's what's he trying to say with those lyrics, though, Sonny? I don't, don't give a fuck. I, that's what the problem is. Just won't shut up. She just keeps babbling on and on. Babbling on, babbling on and on. <laughs> like, I'll listen to that all day. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should maybe I shouldn't have brought that song. Back. <laughs> All right. So, song number 10, we got Come Undone. This is not the Duran Duran cover. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> That's funny, Sonny. I thought the same thing when I saw the the song title originally. I'm like, "Oh, did they go there?" No, they didn't go there. So, Joe Elliott's other other songwriting credit on here. Again, sounds like something from the 90s like the riff the way the guitar sound I, I couldn't place what exactly but that's that's where it took me i like the the verse there's some some vocal delay in there freak show parade and sad masquerade you know with the the rhyming it's real trippy and i think the chorus actually i, I like the melody you know they got the backing vocals when i come and done and then i know you're the only one and again there's some falsetto again you know where they're they're taking the taken that uh, during the chorus but i think this is definitely the better of the two joe elliott songs and that's not saying a lot when bad actress is the other one but i don't mind it i think it's i think it's a pretty good song
Yeah, Stephen, you know, I'm making fun of it, but I thought the music was good. I liked the verses, like the pre-chorus. The chorus was tolerable, and the guitar is always great. So they would have done fine doing Duran Duran instead, though. My notes for this song are, uh, I felt like it had a good pre-chorus and a chorus. I thought both were decent. I liked the rock and verses on this song. So as it goes, this song, not that bad for me. And then the last song we got is Gotta Let It Go. And Brad, Gotta Let It Go, oh, whoa, oh, whoa. Like <laughs> some of these courses are a tough listen. So, yeah, so here's Vivian Campbell. So he actually had three, which it was surprising to me that, that he had three songs that uh, they gave him uh, credit on. And arpeggiated chords during the verse is cool. It's pretty mellow. And then the chorus chorus kicks in. But, yeah, your woe-o's <laughs> in there, Sonny. Yeah, it's it's not great. I think the, again, I think the pre-chorus is really good. Again, there's some more falsetto and delay in there. So they were really latching onto that with the kind of the trippy sound of, of some of these songs on this, on this album. So not terrible, but not Viv's best song on here. Steven, my guess is you feel the same way, but I will say this ends the album with a big fat thud. <laughs> All right. So I got a few notes on this one. Man. Let's see. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's a little more, a little more lengthy than meh. Uh, I said, when it gets there, it rocks. It's okay, but there's no hooks. 
no good pre-course or course for that matter. There's really nothing to this song. So in the end, meh, you're right. It is <laughs> meh in the end, but there's all that stuff I said beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is the album. I want to get everybody's top two, bottom two. I'll start. My top two were easy. Tomorrow, go. Those were my top two songs. My bottom two was Nine Lives, because I don't like that Tim McGraw shit. And then, <laughs> come on, 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 come on. Those were my bottom two. Brad, how about you? So, yeah, so I went with Tomorrow, and I actually I threw Come Undone as my top two. Bottom two, Cruise Control just brutal just absolutely did nothing for me and you know what i just i just made a last minute change i mean i was going to put love but that's a cop out i think to put love in there so i'm putting bad actress i'm putting bad actress in there that thing just us talking about it <laughs> made me dislike it more so those are my those are my bottom two <laughs> steven top two bottom two <laughs> Cop out or not, it has to be said. I'll start with my bottom two, love and love. God damn it, that song's horrible. Yeah, there's a piano version. You can there's a bonus like a piano version. Hell so you no, I'm recognizing my bottom as love, and probably I'm gonna agree with Brad. Cruise control. It's just meh. My top two. <laughs> my top two to Sonny's dismay is going to be come on, come on and hallucinate. <laughs> wow. I thought you were going to say nine lives and really put wow. him over the edge. <laughs> well, I don't think he mind. You didn't mind nine lives that bad. Did you? It's all right. I just, I you like did- the Bon Jovi song a lot better and it yeah. just, it makes me feel weird that they went after it after Bon Jovi gets a number one song out of it. Maybe it's a coincidence. Yeah, but remember, I don't think it's a coincidence. Remember all that. uh, So Bon Jovi was one of the first bands I saw on that. uh, I think the show was called Crossover on CMT, where they share the stage and they do. They shared the stage with Sugarland. Sugarland did Bon Jovi tunes. Bon Jovi did Sugarland. Def Leppard did Taylor Swift. And it was Def Leppard, Taylor Swift. And there's been a few others since then. I think that country got so big at one point and was filling up the charts and were doing, you know, crazy numbers that the rockers started hearing what I was hearing, which is a lot of those country artists were basically playing stuff like ACDC and Def Leppard. When you go to a country concert today, because we do a lot of country concerts at the amphitheater I work at, I swear to God, every time those bands are doing sound check, they're playing Enter Sandman, Paradise City. They're doing sound check to those songs. I mean, you guys, you got guys like Kurt Lucher, who who uh, plays for Luke Bryan, is doing the the um, Kiss tribute thing with Jericho, right? I mean, so a lot of those artists, I think, are just freaking rock fans. Bottom line. And so it, it bleeds over and uh, the rock guys are trying to figure out how to get their foot in the door in country music. And it's a tough market to crack because those country fans see right through that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So a couple of Kiss things here I want to share with you. So let's first talk about it's 2008 and what's going on in Kistory. So 
the band decides to do the first big Europe tour that they had done in 10 years. So they went and played all of Europe stadiums, download festival, aero rock festival, grass pop, metal meeting. They played in Australia. They played in New Zealand. So they were just trying to get back on a personal story. You're not going to believe this shit. So back half of 2008, it's August 29th. They played at the Palms Casino in Vegas. Well, Danny was on vacation with his family in Florida. Okay. Florida, Vegas. Danny took the red eye to come to Vegas to see Kiss on the Palms. Then took the red eye back not to piss off his wife that he left her on vacation. Six hour flight each way to see a two and a half hour Kiss show. That is absolutely nuts. Right? So I was going to play something off of that set list and got, got to choose was part of that set list. But then I started thinking, I'm like, wait a second, 2008. Also, that was the year that One Live Kiss released by Paul Stanley. So Paul Stanley, after he releases Live to Win, goes on tour 2006, 2007. And while they were at the House of Blues in Chicago, they recorded One Life Kiss to come out in 2008. So you know what? I figured, you know what? Let me put Got to Choose from that live recording. So here you go. You know this one.
So far, so good. I love that song. I like Got to Choose. That's that's one of my favorite uh, Kiss songs uh, from the old era. I just there's something about that song that is super catchy, and I just I dig it. Yeah. Any chance, Brad, you were at that show, or did you catch him in Minnesota? No, I saw him the night before in Detroit. Ah, actually, yeah. So I, yeah, I saw the Detroit show, and then they were in Chicago the next night. So great version of the song. I think you know we were texting a little bit and talking about the keyboards in there. I think they accent the song pretty well, and I think the the ooh and the got to choose part really sounds good you know and whether it's they they've got some effects you know on the voices and that type of thing it just sounds really really cool there i mean he had an all-star band (laughs) so it sounded good yeah that's a great version of that song yeah what's crazy is you know the two paul solo tours which was 89 and basically 2006 2007 he's what late 30s and like mid 50s is kind of the bang zone of what's happening here and God damn, were those two shows amazing, right? Like Paul really, really brought it. It's, it's gotta be in the top 20 of my shows all time, both of them. Right. And yeah. man, I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed those more than I enjoyed Kiss the last 10 or 12 years for sure. Yeah. It's interesting to compare his set lists from 89 to 06 to, yeah. I, you know, the different things that different gems that he pulled out and, and cause he did, he, he did some, some real rare stuff on both, uh, both tours. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah. All right. So wrapping up this album, meh. like I like four songs out of the 11. Steven liked more than that. I was surprised. I like four. Yeah. For me, I mean, yeah, I did like more than four, but none of them will ever turn up on my playlist. They're just there. I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, I listen to them. I, it makes me laugh when Sonny goes, well, this song isn't as good as, and it's like a totally different artist or something. You got to just listen to the song and go, it's either, it's either good or it's bad. You can't compare it to other songs. You have to listen to each album individually, at least I do for me. Uh, and I either like the song or I don't. And the songs that I like have good pre-courses and courses on this record to me. And the songs that I didn't just didn't, and they were boring and uh, they didn't work for me overall. I mean, I'll say that this album, I'll still stand by the fact this album is better than X because it is. But other than that, it's just there. Brad, will you ever spin this record in totality on purpose again? You know, you guys, you guys will be surprised. Just say no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're going to have us rank the, all the Def Leppard albums again, right? At the end of the, at the end of the year, I think, I think you guys are going to be surprised where I put this thing. And again, I've been, I liked it right away. So I actually, I listened to it. I mean, this was very easy. (laughs) This was a very easy assignment for me, actually, because I know all these songs pretty well. And, you know, like you said, Stephen, I, I go to Def Leppard for the for fun. Right. I go for the big courses and the the hooks. And and I feel like they did that with this album. You know, X, no uh, euphoria was was good. It had its moments, you know, slang. You guys talked about that. So, I mean, since Adrenalize, I, I feel like this album, you know, was was the better overall album since that album. So I think both of you are trying too hard to find shit to like. With Def Leppard. That's what that's happening right there. I feel like I can always find a redeeming song 
on every Def Leppard record. And in general, usually almost any artist I like, I can find a redeeming song or songs on a record, even if I overall don't like the record. I mean, the only reason that records like Pyromania and, and High and Dry don't just get put on repeat and played over and over is because eventually you get tired of hearing the same songs over and over. And so you start to seek out things from different albums that are deep tracks that, that you, uh, you know, that you like. I mean, it's that four-letter word from X. That's one of those type songs. Slang from Slang is another type song for me on this record. <laughs> Probably not so much, but uh, but it is what it is. There is not a good song on every album on the planet. There's good songs on every Def Leppard album, but you have not heard some of the shit that's been sent to me on email. No, but what I said is is I can usually find a redeeming song on an album from an artist I like. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, from an artist that I already like. I didn't say every album, not every album. <laughs> don't don't mix them words up. <laughs> there there's some uh yeah, no. There's because the artist you like, you're gonna give them a break, right? Like there's yeah. been Prince albums that I've listened from back to front. I'm like Oh, please, the next song be good. Oh, please, the next song be good. Like, there's some albums that are a tough, tough listen. Yeah, I mean, completely. I mean, there's even artists or albums out there that I'm a casual fan of that I can still usually find one song that I think is is decent. I might not freak out about it and go, oh, this song's great. But I might be like, yeah, you know, it's not such a bad song. So it's kind of that way uh, for me. Yeah. So let's wrap this thing up. That's pretty much songs from the Sparkle Lounge in a nutshell. It's one of those records that is really sort of down the middle for me in terms of I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's just kind of there. It is what it is. But overall, great episode. Brad Rustovan, thanks again for lending your talents and your feedback to this podcast. You've done it on many occasions. I'm sure that you'll continue to do it in the future. Once again, Brad's podcast is the Slam Fest podcast, and it releases what day? That's every Thursday, normally, unless I see a, a real-time show that I need an extra day to, <laughs> to put it together. So sometimes it comes out on Fridays, but usually yeah. Thursdays. Every Thursday or Friday, whichever Brad is feeling, go out there and check it out. He puts a lot of work into the podcast, and it's basically going through his concert experiences throughout his growing up rock years, right? And even, absolutely, yeah. Even absolutely. even today, right? Exactly, exactly. That's that's what I think it lends itself well to is real time shows, uh, kind of sprinkled in there. So, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. This was a blast. The Van Halen one was great. This one's great. Can't wait to see what you guys have in store for for next year. And I look forward to having you guys on uh, on my show again, you know, in the next uh, upcoming months. We'll, I'll figure something out. Always a pleasure to get those documents from you that tell us what we're, <laughs> <laughs> what, we're just, what we're supposed to say. I always appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So the links will be in the show notes to the Slamfest podcast. Uh, Sonny, you got anything to add before we get up on out of here? This is the longest anybody has ever talked about this album, period. <laughs> the Grown Up Rock Podcast, going the extra mile for you, the Def Leppard fan, <laughs> and reviewing songs from the Sparkle Lounge. 
Let's see. Up next is the self-titled Def Leppard record. And then we'll finish the we'll finish the year out strong with overall album ranking episodes. And uh, we might even have a couple surprises in December for you, the Def Leppard fan. So we'll get there when we get there. Until then, see you later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 